This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Welcome to The Dev Show. I'm Deborah Eckerling, author of Your Goal Guide and founder of The Dev Method, which is my system for goal setting simplified. My vision is to give you the tools, inspiration, and motivation you need to figure out what you want and help you make a plan to get it. Let's get started. Welcome, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm Deborah Eckerling, author of Your Goal Guide and creator of The Dev Method for Goal Setting Simplified. And every week, I bring together three friends to dive into the topic of the week, and then it magically becomes an episode of The Dev Show Podcast on the Marketing Podcast Network. New episodes of that every Thursday. And I was going to say I love all my shows and I love all my topics, but this one is extra near and dear to me because we're going to talk about writing. And that is, you know, I've identified as writer for like, it's somewhat, when I was interviewed the other week, they're like, when did you start writing? I'm like, uh, when I learned how, just because I've always had that, that spirit. And one of the other, so my community, Write On Online, which started as a community for writers, but it's for writers, creatives, and entrepreneurs, because if you're one, you're the other two. And in this day and age where everybody's connected, writing, it's kind of like, I was going to say, it's kind of like a main way of life, you know, to get you out there to spread your message. I actually, also on this panel, we are all authors as well. Um, so I'm really excited to dive into the this topic that even if you're not a writer, guess what? You're a writer. Uh, with us, with us, me today, we have Judy Baker. And I was trying to figure out, I've known you for a while, but we met through Women's National Book Association, San Francisco chapter, which I am not. Yes, I live in LA. I'm now on the board of San Francisco um, as networking ambassador because it's, you can't reach your goals on your own. You need your people. So really happy when I was doing this panel, I reached out and like, Judy, ready to be back on the show? Yes, of course. Yay. We get to talk about writing. Um, Guy Morris was on a panel I moderated for uh, GLAWS, Greater Los Angeles Artists and Writers. I think it was the Creative Writing Conference. I don't Mm -hmm. know. So we're connected that way. So thrilled to have you on to talk about writing from your slice of the world. And Lisa Niver, travel writer and longtime friend who we actually, uh, I just had her on Taste Buds with Deb, just my other podcast last week because her book Bravish is coming out. So I love bringing people from different areas who don't know each other. And now you all get to know each other and you, the audience, get to know us all. So before we dive into the topic, which I just realized I gave a very long preview, sorry, not sorry, um, I would love for you all to just introduce yourself better and why writing is so near and dear to you. So Judy, let's start with you. Okay. Well, when you answered that question, when did you start writing? Um, I can remember sitting on the floor in the kitchen with my mom cooking, and I would go, is this a word? Is this a word? And I was probably three or four. I'm not even sure. And then I started going to the library with my dad and that as a little kid, and I would take as many books as they would let me take out every single time. So I became a bookaholic, uh, you know, pretty close to when I was born and I have remained one and I write all the time. I didn't consider myself a writer, though, for a really long time because I thought, well, a writer is like real romantic and you have to, you know, struggle and, you know, it. 
Well, I've written my entire life. So that's how long I've been a writer. <laughs> I I have a feeling we're going to have this as a common theme today. Well, we'll find out now, won't we? <laughs> Absolutely. So, and Guy, I know you had a different path to writing, but I will not spoil it. I will let you share. Uh, well, I probably am kind of the atypical. I was actually a homeless runaway at age 13. And uh, it took a kind of a semi-miracle to get me to be able to go to college. And, and I learned to love reading while I was in college. Um, just some of the classic, Mark Twain, uh, Tolstoy, um, a, a number of others. And I didn't really start, I was a songwriter. I wrote songs for Disney for a little while, but I started writing books when, when my son, I was a single parent, my son was home and, and I started writing him short stories like Judy. Uh, he would basically go to the library, backs out every week. And then by Thursday, he'd say, I'm bored. So I started trying to write him a short story um, to kind of help because I had time and, and I thought it might be something to bring us closer together. But as my corporate life and as my life started accumulating incredible experiences and knowledge, when I retired, I decided that that was what I wanted my third act career to be. And um, so I, I'm, I've now write about um, artificial, the real dangers of artificial intelligence, but I write about it in a fictional narrative because I want to do what Michael Crichton did, trying to grow in the world about DNA manipulation and cloning through a narrative because only geeks like me will read the real issues about what AI is and what the dangers are and, and understand it in a way that they can communicate it. But I wanted to get the word out to just more, to, more, to a broader set of people. So it was sort of a mission to say, I, I need to create a fun, engaging narrative about this so that you want to keep learning um, uh, while you're being entertained. And so that was, uh, that was the beginning for me. That's awesome. And it the thing about writing too, right? It can be to entertain, it can be to educate, and mm -hmm. it's wonderful when it's all the above. Yep. Lisa. Hello. Welcome. Thank you. <laughs> so you're, you've been travel writing for like ever, but this is your first book, Bravish. It's so exciting. Yes, my book is coming out, my memoir, Bravish. I've been traveling around the world. I used to work for Princess Cruises, Club Med, Royal Caribbean, and that was pretty much how I started writing formally. But like everybody else, I love that word bookaholic. I generally call myself a library evangelist because when I worked on the cruise ship, I was actually able to have library cards in several different states. And to me, you know, people have different ways. They say that they're rich. You know, some people care about money or meeting celebrities. <laughs> I need to have a lot of library cards and I need a lot of books. So <laughs> that's what actually makes me really happy is when, and especially now I use NetGalley and I can have advanced reader copies. I'm always so excited. So I, I've definitely always had a long love affair with books and I'm so honored to have my book coming out. It's very exciting. And I'm so happy to be back here with you on the podcast and to learn from these incredible other bookaholics. I feel like it should be like bookaholics, not anonymous, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, mm -hmm. and so we all have this mutual love of reading and writing, but not everybody does. So what, why? <laughs> yeah, we'll start with an easy oh, question. Wow. <laughs> Guy, you were chiming in. Well, I, I as I was mentioning to you guys earlier, uh, I'm part of a group. I formed a group called Author Event Network, and we do events, festivals and fairs every single weekend. And it's amazing how often someone will walk about the book. We have amazing variety of books, and they'll say, I don't read. And my First thing that always comes to my mind is the quote from Mark Twain that says that the man who does not read has no advantage of the man who cannot read. And I feel sorry for these people. And, and we've talked about it a lot, but I, I blame our, our um, self-indulgent culture of television, sports, video games, um, all of the other distractions that numb the mind and entertain them, entertain them without necessarily educating them in anything real. And I think it's really the fact that book reading generally has gone down tremendously over the last 40 years as these um, other platforms have um, kind of taken over our culture. Uh, Judy, you, you look like you have something to add in here. Well, I have to say I consume language 
in every format because I was a theater major as well as, a, you know, a person who read all the time. And I don't, I well, maybe I'm a little peculiar that way. I loved school and loved going into books and being somewhere else and being transported. And that's what I think about as, as books, this idea that I can learn how to do something practical, but I can also escape, be in a whole different universe. Mm-hmm. And that's what I love. And when kids don't get that, well, maybe I was just really fortunate in my family to have grown up with that. But I think it's when I think some of the school textbooks are just abominable. And I'm going to I'm going to use that word because they don't invite and intrigue and they don't allow for imagination. That's when kids don't want to read when there's when it's just kind of I'm going to push this at you. But if they get to be part of the story and make things up and and in fact, this is so cool. I well, I'm really excited about this. We are going to do this project next year in the California Writers Club. And Redwood Writers is probably going to be the host, if not for the whole group. We're going to have a contest and we're going to do ekphrastic writing. And for those who don't know what that word is, because I had to look it up the first time I heard it and I thought they meant encaustic and why are they saying it wrong? It, it, well, because it is. It's one of those words. It, it's, a, it's a Greek word, but it's work inspired by another medium. And I guess I've always been that multi-medium or uh, media. I just said that wrong. I've always, I've always gathered information from lots of places. Mm-hmm. You know, and Guy, kept, Guy has mentioned Mark Twain twice now. And I remember growing up and I still have some of my short stories, but one of my assignments when I was in creative writing in high school was to write a takeoff in the style of another author. And I did mine in the style of Mark Twain. And even though it was so many years ago, it's one of those stories that I can read over and over again and not cringe, you know, (laughs) from your youth. Because, I mean, we all have everything, right, that we've ever written, especially those who started young and most of it. But that in particular is a story that whenever I, I come across it, I'm like, you know, it. my high school me was very proud for a good reason. But inspiration can come from everywhere. It can come from authors. It can come from a TV film. But I think the big thing is to be allowed to be creative and see what comes. And, and Lisa, I will let you answer this question now. Okay. <laughs> um. So I have alternated between being a teacher and a traveler, and sometimes my travels have informed my teaching. And one of the things that I notice often is I taught science. I taught middle school, eighth grade science, physics, and chemistry. And as an adult around other adults, a lot of people say to me, oh, I'm very bad at science or trying to calculate the check. People say, I'm so terrible at math. And it's interesting to me how many people say, I don't read books. But a lot of it, I think, is about early experience. I agree with Guy that some of it is this culture of distraction. But I think it's also that as kids, people are told repeatedly they suck at something. Like, as an educator, I don't think it's okay if kids fail my class. It's my job to teach them. And so I find it so startling that there's this acceptability that kids fail reading and math and hate science. Like that's not to me the point of education that people should leave saying, I I'm terrible at math. I don't want to ever take that again. Like, or I don't want to read. So I, I feel very strongly about, you know, yes, textbooks are challenging. They they're not great, but there's also something about what's acceptable. Like why is C average? How about everybody should learn this material? I, I feel like, and I'm totally fine with tangents, um, but- Sorry, Th- that was my no, writing no. tangent. People think they're not good at writing because they have mean teachers. That's exactly, no, I took I took creative writing in college and my professor, here I, here I, here I was this young innocent my first year and this creative writing professor said, oh, you're not a good writer because I didn't write, okay, his favorite author- Dean Koontz. 
Now, Dean Koontz, I think, is a really decent author. He's a very nice man, but not how I write. And that instructor shut me down so thoroughly. I didn't do any creative writing, which had been a big part of my life. I didn't do any again for 30 years because this jerk didn't respect that I didn't write in that style and didn't encourage me to develop my talents. And there, unfortunately, there are, there are teachers out there like that. And that is, that is what's, yeah, it just makes my blood boil. I had, I was in a kidlet writing course in college and I presented my outline for the final paper. And I remember my teacher saying, I think you should organize it this way. And I said, I respect your opinion, but I'm going to go this path. And at the, the, you'll see why this stuck in my head. At the end of class, he said, you were right. I mean, how often does, do you get to hear that from a teacher? But I think the big, biggest part of writing is that instinct. And mm. writing is one of those things that gets better with practice. The more you do it, the better you become. And a lot of, well, a lot of your goal guide, a lot of what I teach is about free writing and brainstorming. It starts with getting the ideas out of your head and onto the page, and then you could play with them. And as long as you are writing, you can be improving. And you have to be open to learning how you improve. Um, I had spent uh, my first book uh, that I wrote with the Curse of Cortez took me 12 years of research into the history of the archaeology and the Mayan mythology that went into the story. But I had spent my career writing PowerPoints, policy statements, Excel things, you know, uh, executive briefs. If it's more than a page, they will not read it. Um, And and so when I started writing the first book, I actually hired, spent a lot of money because I had the money at the time hiring a Simon Schuster developmental editor. I said, and I, I begged her, I said, I need you to, this is my masterclass. Tear me up, give me a plan to stitch back together. Don't hold back on my feelings. I need to know what I, I think I have an amazing story here. I just need to know how to get it to the point where it's, it's the kind of thing that people want to read. And God bless her heart. She did exactly 44 single page typewritten pages of uh, what I courses I needed to take and books I needed to read and things I needed to change and my grammar. Oh my God, it sucked. And, and, and then she marked up every page of the manuscript and I got her feedback. And my first thought was, Oh God, I suck. (laughs) (laughs) I think I need to rethink my retirement plan. But after I, you know, kind of licked my wounds and went, okay, God, this is, she did exactly what she wanted her to do. I I slowly went through and I think be careful what you wish for. Right. And it took another year and a half um, to get that book into a a more of a final state. But that book was part of book trip, which is part of Barnes and Noble was one of their favorite 25 books of 2021. They called it Indiana Jones meets Da Vinci code. Um, it's one of my best sellers. Uh, it's the one that people, it's the story people really want to read. It's, it, of course, it's more fun than the AI stuff, which scares everybody. Um, but it's, and, and, it's and, and my most guy, Which title is this? It's called The Curse of Cortez. Oh, I'm okay. going to check it out. It, so, it sounds exactly perfect for me because I like, I like adventure. I like historical fiction because like you said, you're learning something and you can imagine things that happen in the whole context. And you, and you brought up a good point, too, because my, my friend Alka Joshi said the same thing. When she wrote The Henna Artist, she did it as part of her MFA program. Mm-hmm. And she thought, oh, man, I'm just going to go out. I'm going to get an agent. I'm going to publish this book. And then she got comments back from agents saying, you need to do this and this. So she kept putting it in the drawer. That went on for 10 years, mm-hmm. for 10 years. So her joke is I'm an overnight success, but it only took me this long. And it's that editing process. I'm still I'm still trying to get myself to be more comfortable. <laughs> Getting the ideas out isn't the hard part for me. The, I, the hard part is, oh, now how do I make it better and yeah. better and better? I well, do that think started a process where I think once I write and Stephen King says that the first drafts always suck. 
So oh, I've started the, the mentality that until I've gone through it 20, 30 times and get it to the point, Dan Brown in his, his master class says, when do you know when to stop editing and stop making changes? He says, when you read it through and you can't find anything else that doesn't bother you. And that, that can, I've realized that really getting something to that polished state takes like a, like a piece of stone. It takes a lot of work to go from stone to polish where you can see your reflection and it's a process. Lisa, you add something to add? Yeah, I think one of the things that's really important is I actually have interviewed Alka and she does talk about that a lot, the editing and revising. And I also had a developmental editor, like guy who was a line by line. And one of the things is kind of like we were talking about before about having a good relationship with a teacher or a mentor is someone you have to have a person that's worth taking their input, but also you have to be willing to listen. I mean, I, I've been at several conferences where editors have talked about people are so precious and they don't want to accept edits. So I think that's another side is you, you can't be so, you can't think your work is a gold star before you've done all the revision. I have to add my my little dev take. So yes, on all of the above, my big get on a soapbox thing is to write a book proposal, which I think, and it's something that, that mm -hmm. I do. It's one of the things that I do that not many people know about, but working with authors who've got an idea and it's very dev method-y because it's creating the foundation for your book. So I am a firm believer that whether you're planning to traditionally publish or independently publish by having this document, this game plan, this blueprint, it's especially in um, nonfiction, because that is um, my area. Um, you need this roadmap. You also know that your book could change. So when you, when you have that plan of action, um, but the big, advantage well one of the big advantages when you take that time and energy you know your <laughs> book and it's so much easier to understand feedback when you know what it is that you're trying to put up out in the world you know one of the first questions i got uh from mango was are you open to changing your book title because it was called the dev method and we knew that was coming uh but part of it is you know Sometimes the the vision can be tweaked, but you need to know your vision well enough in order to accept changes that's going to make it better and still be in alignment with you. That's that is such a good piece of advice. And I think it goes right in line with how I work with authors to help them with their marketing. If they don't know who they are and they keep trying to be a chameleon, mm. they're gonna goof every single time because they are are constantly trying to please somebody, but they don't know who that somebody is. And so today they hear this and then tomorrow they hear that. But if they go right inside in their hearts, they'll know why they are here, what their gift is, what they are here to share. And then when they when they create their their books, when they create their essays or short stories, they know what the promise is and why it matters. And it makes it so much easier to write when you know why. I think that's true. Even for, uh, now, I, I chose intentionally to write fiction because I had spent my entire career writing nonfiction and stuff. But I do so much research in my fiction that I, for me, it's extremely important as well. One of the conferences I did at the Gloss Creative um, Writing was to talk about the value of research, even in fiction. And, and it's important for me. I actually go through the same process. I outline every chapter of the book, whose voice it's from, what information I need to relay, how does the story go, what the character changes, all that stuff. But I've always got a goal in terms of what do I want this person to come away with on a, on a non-fictional basis after the end of the book that gets them that that generates uh, thought provocation. I want to provoke really deep thought about where we're going, what's going on. And that takes planning. And I don't think you can write. And I, 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 I hear about people say, I, I just write my fiction. and I just kind of let it go as I go. And I think, well, you could probably do that if you're writing sort of a generic, maybe romance novel or something. You're kind of making that intuitive leap between where does where did my other relationships go wrong? <laughs> um, 
but I, I think when you, I, I tell people I write intelligent um, thrillers because there's a lot of thought, a lot of research, a lot of thought provoking information that goes into what makes those books plausible and therefore more realistic and therefore more, more exciting. I, I feel like you're answering a question that I should have asked more directly. So we're going to, we're, we're going to backpedal. I, I do want to say hello to Catherine Lang, who's tuning in, wants to know how long I've been doing this. I started these Gold Chat Live, aka the Deb Show conversations in spring of 2020. So every Monday we go live from my Facebook, LinkedIn, and on YouTube for the purposes of inspiration and motivation, but also to give people some tactical tools that they can move forward with their projects. And in this case, writing. So what is the best first step for a writer? And we'll, we'll talk in terms of books, but we can also back up if we want to venture into other forms of writing. So Lisa, what for you is the first step in writing? That is such a good question. I should have an answer. Do you want me um, to start? I'll start with no, Judy. I, I, no, it's okay. <laughs> Most of the time I'm writing from an idea. And, you know, when I'm writing an article or I'm thinking about a trip, a lot of times I have start with an idea and then I'm, I'm doing some research and figuring it out. But one of the things that happens for me, a lot of times I wake up in the morning and I'm desperate for a piece of paper because I think about it during the night and then I wake up and I know what I need to do. It also happens for me when I go swimming. I, I, I moved my phone. I got a special waterproof case because at the end of the lap, I'm like, I know how to solve that problem in the story. And then I can, I spend a lot of time writing at the end of the lane. Okay. So the first step is go swimming. <laughs> for me, swimming really helps. <laughs> I'm with you with the exercise because I often, I'm just getting back into, into my carport after working out and I'll go, Oh, I've got the, I've got it. And pre-programming before I go to bed. If I'm, Ooh, I love that up, one. That one that has worked almost my entire, almost my entire life. That I'll go. Okay, here's the issue. I'm sleeping on it. It'll come when it comes, and I just let it go. And then things, then things start popping up in my, you know, kind of peripheral vision. Or there's a, you know, I'll hear another podcast. I'll see something. I, I have always been somebody that connects a lot of disparate pieces of information. And so, Guy, for you, is it research or is there something um, before the research? Well, yeah, first it's getting a right-sized cup of coffee um, <laughs> because there's going to be a lot of late hours of research. Exactly. But I, I start with a premise, but I find and I start to kind of come up with I think I'm going to answer. But research always, a lot of times when I, I get to that writer's block, right? I don't know. I, I go back and do more research because if I can learn how to ask questions, it's the questions. If, I, if I'm trying to kind of solve something and answer, answer a question, that becomes the thing that I can then resolve in the story. And so research always helps for me to fill out what I'm, I'm working on. Now, it might be I, I wish I had traveled more when I was in my corporate career because most of my my travel was business travel, which means you you land at the airport, you get shuttled to the to the hotel, you're in meetings for three days, and then you get shuttled back, and you think I got to visit this city. The side that the windows looked great, um, but it, pleasure travel is something where you really get to absorb the culture and the language and the food and the sounds and the smells, and um, no matter what they do, all hotels smell alike. Um, Lisa, Lisa, do you agree with this? But the research, so researching travel, researching locations, researching culture, researching religions, researching politics, researching the technology. I spend usually two to three years in research for every book. Whoa, that's a lot of research. I'm and learning so a lot. What, what, but once you do the research, how long? Is your writing process? Well, I'll, I'll outline it first because I've typically um, got multiple threads going on and I want them to really weave together really well. That'll take a few months. Uh, but once I have a good outline that I like, that I, I generally, I know it's going to change. It doesn't matter. But once I have a sense of where I'm starting and where I'm ending, 
Um, the first draft usually only takes me about six weeks. Um, from the first draft, then I'll probably, as I said, I'll probably go through 10, 15, 20 more drafts to really polish that. And sometimes in the middle of a book, I say, you know what? I just, I'm really not feeling this location. I'm really not feeling this topic. I'm really not sensing the issue really. So I, I, I'll go back and either reread my research or do some more. I have so, a, I have a historical fiction question. Mm-hmm. Um, so memoir, they say is around 80,000 words. What's historical fiction in general? Like when you're saying you write six weeks, how many words approximately is that? Um, I probably write two, I write, tend to write long books. So I, most of my books have come in between a hundred and 120,000 words. Okay. And I think one of the reasons agents balk at me is because that's too much for them. I'm actually trying to get down to 90 in my next book. Um, but again, can't that, you just make them two. What's that? Can't you just make it part one and part two? Would that solve your problem? Uh, possibly. I've, I've thought about that. Um, Mark Twain once wrote, he he wrote somebody a really long letter and he says, I apologize for writing a long letter. I didn't have time to write you a short one. And sometimes getting it tighter can be tough. But if I'm dealing, I deal with genuine geopolitics, economics, technology, religious issues. And so sometimes weaving that together and giving enough, the reader enough context to understand why it's important um, takes a little bit of a longer narrative. Now, nobody's complained that the books are too long. I've actually had readers say that I got to the end of your book and I was really sad because I want it more. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I feel that's, that's the best problem. That said, if I really want to break into that, an agent won't choke just reading the number, you know, the word count. I, I got to get that down. <laughs> so we have guys process is premise two to three years of research outline first draft editing, 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 more research, more editing. Pretty much. Excellent. Um, So, Judy, can you break your process down a little bit? I'm kind of, um, I'm a little all all over the map. I don't just write in one genre. So, unfortunately, Guy, I still do a lot of business writing. And that's what I did for most of my career up until now. And I do memoir. I do short stories. I write, I write, uh, magical realism, and I write poetry. So I have an amalgam of things. Mm -hmm. And I started a book I was, I started writing, oh, it's about seven years ago. I started writing my memoir and it's about how I dealt with, um, with a, a serious health issue. And I thought I had it all, you know, ready to then start editing. And then I, then I decided to use uh, one of the years of NaNoWriMo and I started making it and it started getting bigger and bigger. And I went, wait a minute. Uh, Let me think about this again. How did I process things when I was sick? Little short bites of things. And then I also realized I had a different way of looking at this whole thing. And I said, you know what? I think people would be more appreciative if I would share maybe six stories. And it's also going to have recipe, real recipes in it, not just recipes for how to do something, but recipes for cooking, which Deb and I talked about a little bit before too. And, (laughs) and I just, I got really excited again and I had put it aside because I said, maybe I'm not ready. I said, Oh no, just let's do this. And so this week alone, I also have a background doing graphic design. So I have to see, I know, I think I think in words, but I also think in pictures. And so I said, you know what? If I start with what it might look like, I might get it moved along the path a little bit more. So I write in Scrivener most often. Sometimes I am, a lot of times I dictate rather than mm. using my hands. Um, and then... I want to see what it's going to look like. I want to see it looking beautiful because I learned that when I was, I mean, you probably did this too, Guy, unless somebody else did the formatting. How people perceive the imagery on the page mm-hmm. also helps determine whether or not they're going to flip it and go to the next thing and to the next thing. And so I found this lovely 
design that I'm going to, that I'm starting to work with. I got one of my recipes in there and I said that made me want to now do more. So even though I thought I was going to have it ready for this year, I don't have it ready this year, but now I know I can finish my first messy draft where I can actually look at it like a book. So that that's me. I'm, I'm, I think I'm not very disciplined. (laughs) When, uh, well, you brought up a lot of good things, but a few things I want to call out. First of all, you mentioned NaNoWriMo. So national novel writing month, which is the 30 days in November where people are challenged to write 50,000 words. Um, And you can do that. Honestly, you could do this anytime, any month, but I love the idea that you sign up on the website and you're encouraged to do, I think it's something like 1,733 or 34 words a day to keep you on track. Um, And it's great because it will stop with the self-editing because you've got to reach your deadline. So if you're having trouble staying focused and just getting those words out of your head, I think it's great. And it does, even though it's traditionally for fiction, you can use it for anything. So I love it's nanorimo.org. I will put that in the show notes as well. Uh, but the other thing as someone who also does multiple projects at various stages of development, sometimes it's just not yet. You start on something and I always find it's really hard to walk away from something, but once you walk away, it's really hard to get back to it. So if you're juggling multiple projects, it's good because it keeps you writing and you're moving forward on at least one thing. And, you know, I made a commitment to, um, after I read Tiny Habits, breaking it down to that smallest thing you can do. And I said, if I only write one sentence a day, I've hit my goal. Now, most times I'm writing way more than that. But I know that if I make it that little, success breeds success gets me to do more. Absolutely. Uh, And I... I did one of my uh, pre-event planning chats uh, for an organization last week. And I always say, you know, scheduled time and an hour increments is great, but if you have to do it in 15 and one of the attendees said, 15 is too much. I said, then fine, do five minutes. It's not a lot, but if you can only have and commit to five minutes, but you do the five minutes, you will get there. And even if it's five minutes a week, it's more than you would have done otherwise. So I love that. You start with the sentence and you keep going. Yeah. Amazing. So Lisa, glue us yeah. in. What happens after you swim and get an idea? <laughs> well, so for my book, like you said, I did have a book proposal, a very extensive book proposal, and I worked with a developmental editor. And for writing, I had a very extensive outline. And the thing that helps me the most is I use a Pomodoro technique. So I write to time and without distractions. And I actually was, I, it's sometimes hard to get started, but then it's hard for me to stop. So I actually had to move my timer across the room and get a very irritating sound because the timer would go off and I'd be like, nope, not stopping. And it's not good for me. I need this, the break. And so <laughs> my friend recommended she had sleeping problems. And so she had to get multiple alarms and she set them far away. Cause I would just turn the Pomodoro thing off. It's in my computer. I'm like, that's bothering me. So now I have to get up out of my chair to turn it off, but it helps me to take the breaks and it helps to think through how much can I write in this 25 minutes. And the other thing that I found really helpful is to not end the day finished is to have something when I open it the next day I know where I am and I don't have to spend a lot of time getting back into it and being like, I don't like a blank page and I don't like the end. So to be like, oh, I'll finish this thought tomorrow and then I could get started again. So you give yourself a cliffhanger. Dun, dun, Essentially, dun. <laughs> I'm writing a thriller. It's not a thriller, but I'm thrilled to go back. <laughs> nice, <laughs> nice pun usage there. So it, the secret to writing, I think we'll all agree, is writing. Mm-hmm. But the other secret is to find what works for you because what works for one person is not necessarily going to work for everyone else. I I love the idea of the timer. Well, as I just mentioned, but I always tell people if you get stuck, set the timer for 15 minutes. And if it goes off and you're still writing, keep going. (laughs) But if it goes off 
and and you're just blank, then you've done your work for the day. So just another way to think about using using the timer. Yeah, I find that when I'm in a very highly creative mode, I, now my creative juices, I, I do all my business stuff during the day and then I have family. My creative juices really kick in around 9 p.m., 10 p.m. So I will often write till two, sometimes three o'clock in the morning. And that's when my creative juices are going. And for me, it's like while I'm in that creative spot, it's like just get out of my way. Don't disturb me. Nobody, no interruptions, no more emails, no more anything. I'm in my zone. Put the food under the table, under the door if you have to. But I'm in the laboratory. Don't bother me. And I will go until I'm physically my, my brain just says, OK, I'm done. And 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 I don't stop until my brain says, OK, I'm, I'm done for the night. And then because I'll wake up the next morning and I'll go, now, where was I? Why was that? So and then I'll go back and read this. Oh, this is really good. Uh, and so for me, it's I don't once I'm in that mode. Now, I, I'll times I'll, I'll I'll be writing and it's I'm forcing it. I'm working it. And then the time for bed, I go to bed. But when I'm really kind of in that creative mode, I, I don't let anything stand in the way of letting that those juices continue, whatever the whatever path they're on. Yeah. So how do you get in the zone? Do you have like a process or is it just you're thinking about it and then it's your time and you just go? Oftentimes I'll go back and reread, start by rereading the chapter I had done before. And that kind of puts me into the how did what is the flow going? Where's the flow going? And and it's oftentimes I know the information I have. I, you can't see it because of the, the camera, but there's boxes and stacks of research everywhere. So oftentimes I'll reach for the right pile to give me the, the technical stuff I need to know, or I'll just put in the text, blah, 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 talk about such and such. And I'll go back and fill in that blank later. But I'm really trying to get in the story and the character's head. And what what would I be feeling if I was, you know, at this particular moment in the story? And 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 so it's really just trying to kind of get into the the the, the narration and the character themselves, and then I'll fill in the blanks on all the technical blah blah blahs I have to. That's such a smart technique because a lot of people they really do get really mired in the details, which again is why Nano is so great because you've got to do a certain word count. You have to put figure this out later, <laughs> like yeah every other line. So I think that's a really good system. Um, Judy, what is your, your process for getting in the flow of writing? Well, I like to write a couple of different times in the day. So I like writing first thing, if I can get myself to do it, which isn't all the time. And then I also like writing before I go to sleep. And because I, it's usually time when nobody else is bothering me, no one's talking to me, and I can just be here and seeing things and figuring things out. And part of the reason I started dictating versus keyboarding is I keyboard really fast, but I edit. If my hands are on the keyboard, I'm editing. And I learned... I learned to start dictating because then I would just get the ideas out and then I can go back in and, and, you know, polish them up. But I've also learned music can help me get in the zone. So if I want to switch moods, if I listen to music, it will get me in a different headspace. But here's one that maybe all of you haven't tried before, but maybe some of you have, because I know Guy said a couple of things and so did Lisa. And Deb, I think you too. Aroma. Mm. What we smell, we can't edit. Our olfactory is straight into our old brain. And sometimes a smell can trigger a thought, a memory, a, just a different feeling. And so I've got, I've got a bunch of essential oils. And so sometimes I'll just go, you know, I need a little bit of creative spark. I'm going to go, you know, check out my aromatherapy mm. and it'll, it'll stimulate me thinking. Ooh, I like that. Well, and I'm with you on the food aromas and the food memories and all that, but I never thought about, you know, okay, let I, my character needs to be taking a walk in some flower filled area and to smell, to put yourself into the place 
you're using all the senses, not just the regular ones. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The more senses, the more senses you can involve, the richer the writing. Ooh, like that. Okay, Lisa, how about you? How do I get in the flow? Yes. For me, when I was working on my memoir, I had a very kind of strict day schedule. I, I think that in a lot of ways, I just went into my best teacher mode and I gave myself homework. And a lot of the reason that my memoir happened was because I was home uh, during the COVID coaster. I wasn't traveling at all. It's the longest I've ever been in one place in my entire life. And being able to write about some of my adventures helped me it helped and it hurt. I mean, sometimes I was really sad to be home and not out on the road, but it gave me the opportunity. And I I committed to using that. So I was taking a lot of classes at UCLA through senior scholars, and I was giving myself homework of a certain amount of word count. And, and for me, I write in the morning, but after this chat, I'm actually going to try writing at night since everyone seems to write so much at night. I have not really ever tried that. Hmm. But I, I definitely... People ask me that sometimes because I'm I don't write in so many different genres like both of you, but I do I do other things. So I have a podcast and I have videos. My YouTube is real close to two million views right now. Wow! So sometimes when I was writing, I would watch my own videos and I'm like, oh, I remember what that happened. I, the smells is brilliant. I haven't tried that, but I would look at other things and I take a lot of notes when I'm traveling. People are always like, what are you doing? You're so distracted. I'm like, I'm not distracted. I'm taking notes. The guide's talking. <laughs> and I, I used a lot of that. So I use everything that I have as a resource, um, the videos, the photos, my notes, and and the time. I, I definitely, I teach to time and I write to time because otherwise I'm so distracted. Yeah. These are all such great Way what this this conversation really proves is there is no one way, right? Especially if you're a writer. Back when I led the in-person writers group, every now and then I'd have someone come in and say, I want to make a lot of money. I'm going to be a writer. Ha ha ha, really. And they were really serious. And then they would ask the question, when is the best time of day to write? And the answer always is, what is the best time for you? And I I do... Uh, well, well, I do it a little bit different. I try and get all my email and businessy writings done in the morning. I do more creative stuff later in the day, but I freelance for a couple of different publications. So at least one day a week, that's the day, you know, no appointments. It's just let me knock out my articles and stay in that flow so I can work on my dev projects and my client projects and my, my fun. Not that, you know, what I write isn't fun, but it's a different set. So figuring out what you're doing when you're doing it, but also to find the joy in what you're doing, that's also going to be super, super motivating. Um, I noticed our friend John Chen popped on, says hello. I know I, now I introduced John and Lisa and I think she was on his show like two days later. So Always love it when when my people <laughs> connect. Thank you for tuning in. And if you are tuning in either live or the replay or you're listening, you know, comment. Let us know what you're working on, what you're writing, so we can help keep you motivated and and um yeah, motivated moving forward so we can be your cheerleader. Um, and if you are on Facebook, please join my group, which is right on online. It's what grew out of the original in-person group and it's all for goal setting, productivity and community. So it's a different thread each day to post what you're working on. And then later in the week, it's what you accomplish, but it's not just about what you're doing. It's about finding your people and lifting each other up and making connections. So, uh, at this point, and yes, I did that in one breath. I would love for you all to gift a goal to our audience. So what is one thing that they can do today, tomorrow to really get their writing juices flowing? So Judy, what goal would you like to gift? I think the goal I'm going to share is find, find something you're grateful for and write about it in whatever fashion you want. But if you make it a point to find something you're grateful for, it really sets you up for a positive mindset. And for me, it always 
gets me feeling better and I'm I'm far more productive. And I I would invite you all to do that. I love that. I and I am all about counting. Well, I just said I'm all about counting and celebrating the wins. And that's a way to give yourself a win and that good feeling to be more productive. So love that. It's great. Uh, Guy, do you have a goal to gift? Um, learn to love to learn. Um, I get inspired when I, t I, I took Dan Brown's masterclass. And it charged me up so much that I was so anxious to get working on my book again because he gave me tools to basically figure out how to get my ideas out and how to uh, and, and turn them into even greater things. So if you can, if you can learn to love to learn, you can find so many resources, so many books on how to write so many books on how to write your topics, so many things that you can research to learn about that you can write about. They used to say, write what you know. And I always say, go find out what you want to know and write about that. And learn to love to learn because learn if you're not a good learner, if you're not a good reader, you'll never be a great writer. Okay, so I feel like I, I love that. I feel like let's make it into something that's more of a goal. So not just learn to love to learn, but how about find out something you want to know and then yeah. learn it? Yeah. Get curious. Okay. See, every now and then I do edit. <laughs> in this manner. Well, I, I want people to be able to come away from this all motivated. So they're going to be grateful for something and then they're going to learn something. And now what are they going to do, Lisa? Now what they're going to do, because I'm a teacher, it's September and Friday starts the new year. So Shana Tova. And this is the time of year when I find the opportunity to think about my choices and how has my year been? And we've talked a lot today about writing, but something that's so important is reading. So I hope that everybody that doesn't have a library card will think about getting some books from the library because everything you could do, almost all of it online now, there's Libby, there's Overdrive, you could read on your phone, you could read on your Kindle, you could read on your computer. We are all authors. We want you to read books. And I think that's a great way to learn something new. So I, my goal would be read a book, find something that inspires you and commit to just like we said, writing can be in chunks. You could read five minutes a day. You don't have to be one of those people that I'm going to read a book a month, a book a week or whatever. Just read something. Ooh, I like that. Five minutes a day is doable, right? We used, to, we used to read at school. They had to read, I forget it was 15 or 20 minutes after lunch. It was called SSR, which meant it, uh, the kids called it sit down, shut up and read, but that wasn't what it was called. <laughs> It was called, I remember now, it was called sustained silent reading. So it was pick a time. I like the other definition better. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, eighth graders. But the it, it makes a difference to do something regularly. Like for me, I like to write in the morning and, you know, other, I like to read at night. But find something, you know, and I, the other thing I'd like to say about reading that's really important to me. Often people will say to me, I don't read. And especially people I know. And I'll say, well, actually, that's not true because I know that you listen to books. And they'll say, well, that's not reading. And I said, well, I think we really need to change our understanding of the definition because you're interacting with the book. Maybe you're not looking at the words, but you're taking it in. And I think that listening counts as reading. Mm -hmm. I'm getting off my soapbox now. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Well, and, and, and I just added a, a bonus goal, which is write for five minutes a day. Read for five minutes a day. Can I add, can I amend yes, that? Yes, please. I agree with Lisa. It's because I do a lot of audiobooks now versus physical books, only because it's easier for me to do it. And I love it when I'm out on a, a walk. That you have to you have to use your imagination when you are reading. You have to use your imagination when you are listening. So whether it's on a page in your ears. It's engaging your brain. So engage your brain for five minutes a day. I am all for workarounds. Yes. Reading, listening, watching a video, just educating, right? Yeah. 
engaging your brain. Yeah. Well, if you want to write, you need to experience, right? You need to get in the zone, but you need to bring, put in more information to better enrich your life, right? Yeah. Yes. Okay. So, it, it, podcast listeners, we are all nodding. <laughs> You're nodding. I'm nodding. Awesome. I'm nodding. <laughs> we agree. We concur. Excellent. It, well, it's always fun when the panels, well, no, it's more fun when they agree than when they disagree. I don't know that my panels ever disagree. <laughs> we'll see. Hmm. A goal. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. The point is, if you are tuning you in, I'm really good at that. Uh, at what? Finding things that people can disagree with. <laughs> the disagreeable panel. Okay, yeah. I will. I will ponder. It would be a little off-brand for me, but I will think about it. Well, but when it's I was always at Microsoft. We used to have big, big meetings, and I used to laugh. And and as is the and and these meetings were sometimes drone on. I said we're not having a meeting so that the point isn't made till everybody's made the point. I said I'm looking for differences of ideas. I'm looking for some conflicts here. I'm trying to figure out what we might not be seeing. Not that everybody's agreeing. So um, I, I was always saying, okay, who disagrees? I want to hear from you. Um, because it, it allowed us to expand and to think through things in ways that maybe we weren't before. So, um, but yeah, they were famous. I'm, the point hasn't been made till I've made it. So. <laughs> it, well, and, and this is one of the things that I love about these panels is most of the 99% of the time, unless it's on purpose, the people do not know each other. Yeah. And frequently they do something similar and they have a different perspective or the, in your cases, you're all writers, but you write in different zones. You got here in different ways. But I think we all agree that taking from your life, from what you learn, from your experience, from your senses, all of the things is what's going to make you a better writer. So oh, the secret is there is no secret. Just keep going. <laughs> Uh, what a wonderful conversation. Before we wrap, where can people learn more about you, Judy? They can find me at bookmarketingmentor.com. And when you go there, you're going to see some resources. Excellent. And Guy, where can people learn more about you? Um, GuyMorrisBooks.com. Um, uh, I know it sounds a little on point, but it works. Um, you'll learn about the books. You'll learn I, I publish fact versus fiction pages because I blend the fiction into the fact into the fiction so tightly. I actually feel like I have to be transparent about it. And so that's a great way of learning about the books and the topics as well. Awesome. And Lisa, where can people learn more about you? So my website is lisaniver.com, Niver Like Diver. And I have a book coming this month, September, Bravish, One Breakup, Six Continents, and Feeling Fearless After 50, which you can find everywhere. Awesome. And if you go to thedebmethod.com slash blog, you can get the recap to this and the previous episodes. And if you're ready to set and reboot your goals, you can find your goal guide also at your favorite place to buy books. And if you love talking about food, you can also check out my Taste Buds with Deb podcast, uh, bite-sized conversations about food, cooking, and community. Well, this has been amazing. I thank you all so much for, for joining me today. And uh, those of you who are tuning in, whether you're listening uh, to the Deb Show podcast on the Marketing Podcast Network, watching live or watching the replay. Um, gold stars to you, you know, for learning more about this topic and to getting in touch with those writing muscles. Uh, friends, before we wrap, I would love for you to leave everybody with a final thought. So Lisa, final thought? My final thought is enjoy, if you're in our hemisphere, fall. And take advantage of the changing of the season to think about how, what you want to plant and what you want to grow next. Ooh, love it. Yeah. Well, I start, I start the new year, you know, four times as well, fall, December, January, summer. So I, I am with you. It's the perfect time. Well, anytime is a perfect time for fresh start, but the fall in particular, it's a great, great time to rethink what you want for your future. So thank you for that. Guy, final thought? 
Oh, you! I, uh, these these philosophical things always stump me. Um, I, I always tell people: says never let your past define your future. No matter what obstacles you've had in terms of reaching reaching your goals or difficulties you've had in life, that doesn't mean your future has to look that way. You can always, every day you can reinvent and and redecide where you're going to go and what you're who you're going to be. I am a hundred and twenty seven percent with you on that one. Every day is a new day to set new goals. You you have it. Your future is your choice. So choose it and keep going forward. So. Yeah. Awesome. And Judy, what is your final, final thought? Well, Lisa, you sort of teed it up. My theme is your book marketing is like growing a garden. And because right now we're looking at our garden and we're harvesting all these goodies, but every single plant in the entire world started with a tiny seed. And I'm going to say plant your seeds every day because you can grow a beautiful, lush book, garden, and business if you plant your seeds. If you never plant them, they can't grow up. This is true. And and it it calls back to something I say all the time, which I, I think I just kind of said. It's your life. It's your choice. So think about your goals, what you want for your future. It's within, it's within your power. So go on out there, go for it. Cause we know you can do it. Thanks for listening to the dev show. If you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe. So you don't miss an episode. Need more inspiration and motivation. Connect with me on LinkedIn, follow at the dev method on social media and check out the devmethod.com. Best of luck with your goals, and remember, you can do it. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.